0: Australian singer-songwriters Paul Kelly and Kev Carmody say, from little things, big things grow. And uh, you're probably, even if you don't know who they are, uh, now in your head sort of thinking about the harmonica uh, and um, singing it along, maybe whistling it in your mind. Uh, And I'd get us all to sing it together, but uh, then you'd have to hear me sing, so we're not going to do that. Uh, from little things, big things grow. Uh, of course, it's a song that's uh, written to tell the sort of beginning story of the Aboriginal land rights movement, uh, and it's uh, it was a it was a small moment there that ended up sort of leading towards Mabo, uh, which totally reshaped and revolutionised uh, uh, land rights in Australia. And they sing, uh, uh, they tell the story and keep coming back to that that line, from little things, big things grow. And uh, it's a true statement, isn't it? Not just of Aboriginal land rights, but of course for all of life. From little things, big things grow. From seeds grow plants. From small investments over time grow uh, large returns. Uh, From uh, little tiny babies come uh, big large adults. In fact, time and time again, really anything that we do in life, uh, it's from a little thing that big things grow. One tiny bicep, little lift after little lift becomes large, or so they tell me. And it's not just babies and plants and biceps and uh, money uh, that go from small to big. It's actually also, I think, the case in our spiritual life too. But from little things, from small practices and habits, big things like deep faithfulness and fidelity and our relationship with God or not, our lack thereof, can grow. Uh, And in a moment, I want to just take a look at some of the characters in our story from uh, chapter 12 today to think about uh, that and how that might relate to us but just to put it all into some context for you uh, last year uh, we were looking at the book of john and we got up to chapter 11 which is where jesus raises lazarus from the dead and the, the whole book of john we know from uh, chapter 21 verse 25 is written to help us who read it to believe in jesus to believe that he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Messiah who has been sent to bring us salvation. And as John tells the story, uh, chapter 12 is a key transition point. That's why we stopped at the end of chapter 11 before we are now picking it up in chapter 12. And essentially, we're going on an extended journey to Easter from now until Easter. John also, from chapter 12, through to the death and resurrection of jesus uh, at the end of his gospel is on an extended journey this is all the final week of jesus life from here on in and so this story uh symbolically in 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 john's gospel it points us to that end Uh, as this woman comes and uh, mary and anoints jesus with uh with the perfume uh it's a it's an anointing For his death many say it's it's something that is very special it has a one-time significance uh, and it's an act of uh, worship and devotion by mary uh, showing her love for him and showing that uh, he is worth all of our devotion Uh, we must give up everything for him and preparing the readers of john's gospel and the people uh, in john's day for the fact that he's a man who's getting ready for death in a week He'll be dead. He'll have died for the sins of the world. But I want to focus on what else is happening in the story today, because as well as that key moment in the trajectory of the Gospel of John, there's some other interesting things happening in the lives of the characters who are gathered for dinner in this house, in this story. And before we kind of delve into that i I want to share with you a book that i read while i was on leave called live no lies by john mark comer you might if you're from my friend on facebook or instagram i posted a photo of it uh, on there i'll share it into the church's facebook group uh, later today if you like Uh, and it's a really excellent book notwithstanding a, a couple of minor quibbles that i may have with it but that's a good sign of a christian book that you don't agree with everything but it's a really excellent book and it's a book which is talking about the spiritual battle each of us are in, Uh, the, the fact that each of us is, I assume, if we love Jesus, trying not to sin and instead to live for Christ. And of course, if you've tried that lately, you know that's hard it's difficult. Why? Well, this is the kind of the point of the book. It's because we're having a spiritual battle, a battle against Satan, a battle against our sinful flesh and a battle against a fallen world. These three things working together to draw us away from Jesus. And and John Mark Comer puts it like this. Those three things, the devil, our sinful flesh and the world, they work together like this. The devil uses deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires or our flesh that are normalised in a sinful society in the world. The devil uses deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalised in sinful society. The devil lies... Our sinful flesh wants to believe those lies because it feels good. It wants to act on those lies. And our fallen secular world tells us that doing so is the right thing to do, that it's a good idea, that this is how we'll be ultimately happy. And that, I think, is extremely perceptive as, as to the spiritual battle that you and I are in. Satan constantly whispering lies... Our flesh constantly thinking maybe that's a good idea and the world telling us to go for it. You be you. Live your own life. Do your own thing. It's a dastardly combination. And I want to suggest it's a a combination, the devil telling lies, our sinful flesh kind of uh, wanting to do it and the world confirming it, that we actually see in action here that this spiritual battle we're in against Satan and sin and the world, the battle that Jesus has come to win for us and that he will win for us in a week's time in John's Gospel on Easter Day, that's a battle that's live right here, right now, in this room as Jesus is having dinner with his friends. And we see it, don't we, with Judas. And we see it with the chief priests Judas is one of Jesus's disciples he's been chosen by Jesus to be in the inner circle and as we are introduced to him in chapter 12 verse 4 he's the one who was later to betray Jesus and he uh, is introduced to us in this story as someone who is deceitful and duplicitous, isn't he? Because as Mary comes to Jesus and uh, pours that expensive perfume uh, on him and anoints him for his, his mission and expresses her love and devotion to him, Judas objects and he objects with holy sounding words, doesn't he? Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Hmm, good point, Judas. But of course, John tells us that's not at all Judas's concern. For for Judas, what's really going on in his heart is, Dang, I just missed out on an opportunity to steal a lot of money. Verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas is a thief. Judas loves money. And you can imagine, can't you, that this is not how things began for Judas. Uh, I suspect when Jesus Was calling his disciples and asking them to leave everything they had and to follow him and he would make them fishes of men. I I don't think that Judas was thinking to himself this will be a good way for me to make some money. Uh, uh, It's just unlikely that, that that's what was happening. He was probably thinking the Messiah's come and I'm going to be on the inside of this and that's wonderful like most of the other disciples were thinking. Not really sure what this means, but wow, what an opportunity, what a moment. Uh, This guy seems amazing, let's let's go and we'll figure it out as we go. And you can imagine, can't you, that as the 12 uh, are trying to figure out how to uh, kind of operate as they're on the road with Jesus for three years, you know, like that requires bureaucracy, it requires order and function the 12 disciples had to sort out how they were going to eat every day where they were going to sleep every day all these sorts of logistics and so there's all sorts of jobs that have to be done and obviously one of them was keeper of the money bag which i think is the new testament name for parish treasurer and so you can imagine can't you that one day judas is collecting money counting it in and the devil whispers a lie. You've worked pretty hard, you've given up everything. Things don't seem to be going as well as you'd hoped. They're not going to notice if you take some money out of of the bag. And in fact, you're kind of entitled to it. You deserve it. Now, of course, we don't know why Judas ended up taking money out of the bag, but... If the framework that we have for thinking about how our battle with sin works is the devil lies, our sinful f- tells us lies, our sinful flesh wants to believe and the world confirms it, then I suspect it probably did go something like that. And you can imagine Jesus thinking, well this would be nice, if I did take some money I could maybe go out for a nice dinner if such a thing happened in the first century. I could have a nice drink, I could I could cheer myself up. His sinful flesh makes the devil's lies sound like a good idea. And the world that he lived in, which wanted to maintain power and authority in the chief priests and the Pharisees, says, Yeah, you know what? Undercutting the ministry of Jesus is a good idea. If Judas was alive today and doing this now, our society has completely normalized greed. If you don't get caught, who cares? The world backing up our fleshly desires. And so Judas, having joined the 12 disciples, now is a thief. He doesn't get caught, he enjoys his meal and he goes again and again and again, so much so when he sees this woman Uh, pour a year's wages of worth of perfume on the feet of Jesus. He's indignant. And after this, in a week's time, he'll use that love of money that he is allowed to grow in his heart to enable him to portray the Lord Jesus. Matthew tells us, chapter 26, verse 14, one of the 12, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. Oh, my heart, says Judas. What a wonderful thing this is. I'm going to be rich. Not even that rich, but some more money for me because this is what I love more than anything else. His sin ultimately gives birth to betrayal and murder. And it's unlikely that's where judas thought it was going to go but that's where it ends for him and the chief priests they're not much better are they they're the religious leaders of the day and they're too caught up in the devil's lies and their own sinful desires and the ways of the world throughout john's gospel we've been reading about how the chief priests and the pharisees are are dead against jesus skeptical of him worried of him angry with him threatened by him and ultimately we see at the end of chapter 11 determined to kill him why because he's a threat to their way of being which is not god's way of being and so we read in our chapter today the chief priest verse 10 made a plan plan, plans to kill not only jesus but lazarus as well For on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing him. Their desires for power and control are leading them to plan not just one murder, but two. These are God's leaders. And you can imagine how they've ended up here too, believing the lie that what really makes them important is not that they're meant to lead and serve God's people but that they are leaders and should be served by the people they deserve the authority that they have they deserve the respect that they have and the flesh desires power and control and the world is so ordered that uh, their positions give them that and so they must keep it at any cost And in doing so, the Messiah walks right past them and they kill him. The the devil uses deceitful ideas that play to the disordered desires of our our flesh that are normalised in sinful society, as John Mark Comer elegantly puts it in that book. And when those things work together, as we see in the life of Judas, or we see in the life of the chief priests, or we see in our own lives... That has tragic consequences ultimately leading us to the complete rejection of god himself so what do we do how do we not end up like judas or the chief priests becoming so caught up in the devil's lies becoming so caught up in our own fleshly desires becoming so captivated by the world's view of what is good and not god's that Ultimately, we miss Jesus and we want him dead. Well, I think that's where Mary is helpful for us. This story of Jesus having his feet anointed occurs in all the Gospels, but it's one of those interesting stories because it's, it's, it's got all different facets to it in all the Gospels. That Sometimes, we, like in John's Gospel, we know that it's Mary. Other times, we're not sure who the person is. Some people think there were multiple times this happened to Jesus. Other people think it's uh, happened one time and it's different people's perspective of the same event. We should never get too upset, though, when a story occurs four times in the Gospel because when people see something, they, they remember different bits, don't they? This is actually a sign that it's real uh, because uh, uh, human beings saw the event and they've now recounted the event to us In a way that is helpful for them to tell the overall story they're trying to tell us about who Jesus was and why we should believe in him and in Luke we read uh, a story of Jesus being at the house of uh, Lazarus and and Mary and Martha and there we read about how uh, Martha was busy working in the kitchen but Mary was sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus listening to what he said and that's where we find her here in john's gospel isn't it? at the feet of jesus no doubt listening to what he's saying listening to the truth about jesus listening to the word of god and this is the first thing we need if we're going to flee sin then we need to defeat the devil's lies and if we're going to de- defeat the deceitful lies of satan then we need the truth The truth of jesus we need to be full of god's word and so let me just pause for a moment and ask you are you are you trying to spend time in the word of god reading your bible because when you do that god is speaking his truth to you because you know who's always speaking to you the devil constantly whispering lies not audibly but that satan's job is to lie to you lie to your heart lie to your mind and take you away from the lord jesus and god has given you his word where he will whisper his truth doesn't he say he's shouting his truth as his spirit works through his word his truth is revealed in our minds in our hearts you will not defeat satan without the word of god and mary was at the feet of jesus dedicating herself to hearing what he had to say so let me encourage you sometimes now we're sort of two and a half, three weeks into 2023, this might be the time where you're quite good at having God speak to you, three weeks into 2023. You probably thought you didn't do that good a job last year and so you're giving it a kick. Well, if that's you, great, keep going. Keep going because we need the truth to defeat the lies. What else does Mary show us? A committed and costly devotion to Jesus, willing to give up things this world tells us are silly to give up, things her flesh told her were silly to give up for the sake of the worship of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In verse 5 we read, That was a year's worth of wages. In today's money, that's a $70,000 jar of perfume. A $70,000 jar of perfume is poured out on the feet of Jesus. You think about that. Mary, and people are not rich. That's like, that's a lot of money. A year's wages. You can do a lot with a year's wages a deposit for your next house And, and and here's mary just pouring it on the feet of jesus and i reckon a lot of us have some sympathy with judas what are you doing that is a waste of money you could give it to the poor or you could just use it for yourself but mary knows who jesus is and she knows That he is worth giving up everything for losing everything for and devoting herself completely to in worship and when we hear the truth of jesus as mary did at his feet the response is to put to death our worldly desires to put to death the desires of our flesh and instead to give ourselves to the lord jesus And that's what we need to do too. Today, each of us needs to simply decide. Will we say no to the devil's devil's deceitful ideas? Will we flee from the desires of our flesh? And will we choose to not be at peace with the world and its values? And in doing so, we'll find this beautiful freedom that transcends understanding devoting yourself fully to Jesus being regular in hearing his his word his truth putting to death your flesh and your sinful desires and choosing instead to live by the power of the spirit living in conflict with our secular world and being at peace with the values of the kingdom of God which brings life for all eternity. That's true life. That's really living. And it's marvellous and it's wonderful. And when you free yourself from Satan's evil schemes and the plans of this world, there's nothing better. can feel overwhelming it can feel overwhelming to pour out a $70,000 jar of perfume on the feet of Jesus to be called and feel moved in your spirit to give up something you hold dear but knowing you have to because it's what it means for you to be fully devoted to the worship of the Lord Jesus but it's worth it every time And in our battle against sin and Satan, and this world and our flesh, it can feel overwhelming. How will I ever have victory? You won't. But Jesus has won it. And all you need to do is worry about what you're going to do today. And he'll take care of tomorrow. He'll take care of you today as well, in fact. But simply today, you just need to decide: Is this the day I say no to Satan and his evil schemes, or yes to Jesus, and, and yes to Jesus? Or is it the day I give in? And it, it it'll go both ways on different days. You wake up tomorrow, you repent of your sins, you come to the Lord Jesus in faith, and you go again. Day after day after day, and from little things big things grow. The small decision each day to believe God's truth, to allow his spirit to empower you, will lead you to a lifetime of faithfulness. Uh, Every now and again, we're lucky enough, aren't we, to meet someone who's been a Christian for 70, 80 years. And I don't know about you, but often when I meet these people, you see from little things, big things grow. They're so filled with God's love and faithfulness. They're not perfect. They're looking forward to eternity. But from little things, big things have grown. And you sit there and you think, wow, I hope I can be even half as as godly as these people are. I remember once... Going to visit an old missionary in a nursing home, and uh, she'd come into some money, but she just gave it all away. I don't need this. I've got a coat. I only live in one room. I only need one coat. Everything else for the kingdom. Remarkable. I couldn't imagine myself being like that, but from little things, big things grow. Our sanctification. Our becoming more like Jesus grows day by day, step by step, little by little. If we simply decide to be like Mary and devote ourselves to Jesus, no matter the cost, for nothing matters more than him. Amen.